This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I am Darcy, and I will be your guide along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With transmissions from the Invisible Sun, we talk to people from Monty Cook Games about topics related to Invisible Sun. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. Today we have the honor of hosting Darcy Ross from Monty Cook Games on Incantations. She is here to tell us all about her currently running Kickstarter, which is funding a second season of A Woman with Hollow Eyes. So, welcome to the show, Darcy. It's great to have you back. I'm so excited to be here. Thank both of you. Uh, this is really, really fun for me. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's fun. <laughs> um, so, the last time we had you on, I think it was back on episode 33, back at the end of 20. 20- Oh my gosh. 17. Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about uh, your Kickstarter for the first season of A Woman with Hollow Eyes. <laughs> uh, I I should really go back and listen to that because I've learned so much in the process <laughs> between these two Kickstarters, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I imagine you have. Uh, and I think that's kind of part of what we want to talk to you about. Um, mm. So first off, why don't we talk about uh, this new season of A Woman with Hollow Eyes and what your Kickstarter is and uh, give us all the details. Uh, where can people go and uh, what are you shooting for? Uh, yeah, cool. I will give you the the basic details. So um, <clears throat> one thing I'm really excited for about this is that it's uh, we're trying to kickstart sort of this uh, a shorter, tighter season. Um, the, the last time we did it, it sort of I kept adding episodes because I wasn't really... Uh, proficient at guiding a narrative on a tighter tighter space. Um, and so it took a long time. So that was a lot of content. And so uh, we're, we're hoping to kind of find, and you know, just because Invisible Sun is so collaborative and so following where the players want to go, um, we had three main cast members and we had a lot of episodes. And so a ton of content got generated. Uh, and it became, there became so many ends that uh, were left hanging that that uh, we wanted to try to see what a, a shorter arc would feel like. So the basics are, uh, we're trying to fund five episodes of uh, A Woman with Hollow Eyes Season 2. Um, we are carrying over uh, uh, James D'Amato as the core cast member from the last season, um, but because of life events and Second City stealing one of our cast members to New York City, uh, we are... Uh, both Alan and Kat are not going to be in this season. Um, so both of them are, are very happy. Alan wants in somehow, so we may, may try to work him in. But we got a new cast member as a result. That is Adira Slattery. She is so smart. She's so cool. And she really brings a lot of surrealist art chops and uh, related surreal games, uh, game experience to the table. So she's really familiar with uh, Nobilis and Amber Dyselis and sort of these worlds that people compare Invisible Sun to a lot. Um, so I'm really excited to have her. So those will be our two main cast members. We'll have five episodes and then we'll be doing some like development mode content and the like 
uh, in podcast form alongside the show. So just like before, we'll be recording at the One Shot Studio um, at that nice Twitch space. And uh, every every day I go there, uh, the the tech Joe has figured out something cool and new to do with lighting and and so on. So I think it'll be really beautiful. And uh, we are shooting to uh, to get the Kickstarter to a level of uh, three thousand two hundred, which uh, lets us pay all the cast members um, and uh, you know the tech costs and things. So we're hoping to get there for the five episodes. But if we get a little more than that, we might have money to bring in guests. Um, and a lot of people were really excited about the first season and would like to guess. So uh, fingers crossed. I think that's the details. The Kickstarter ends on February 8th. So we've still got, at the time of this recording, 16 days to go. And we're, we're about two thirds there. So I'm really hopeful. Uh, do you have any cool uh, pledge levels like you did last time where people can uh, create stuff for the game that you're going to incorporate? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what are some of those levels that you've got? Like, how involved can people get in in the narrative? That's a great question. Uh, and this was a great uh, joy for me for the first season was using all of these neat backer contributions. So uh, this season we are uh, the sort of the lowest uh, cost pr- contribution is uh, contributing flux. Um, so these are, of course, you know, flux events when you when you roll a flux on your magic die. Uh, and the the things that people would come up with for these are bonkers, right? The, the the level of flux for all of the backer contributions has been far greater than uh, than in in the game. But I, I think it's so fun. It, it almost comes out kind of like a GM shift, uh, mm-hmm. more or less. So those are super fun. So you can contribute flux to this great big list that both I will have access to and um, all the backers who get the PDF will will have access to. So it's sort of this supplement we're creating together. Um, but there are also things like creating an NPC or uh, one thing I really love, helping me come up with a list of cool demons and angels and ghosts. They're sort of a, hey, give our goetics something to summon or something to talk to. Um, so I love those. If you're more of an objects or like, uh, you know, if you think more along the lines of items, we have um, ephemera. So you can create both uh, incantations and uh, ephemera objects for me to use, which has been really fun. Um, and finally, some of the upper levels are like, hey, build build a monument, a place of power somewhere in Saturine, or uh, help me with a uh, development mode for one of the podcasts. Or finally, uh, there's the Sun Wardens, which was a real joy from, from last year. Uh, these, this is like kind of our highest tier, and it's basically uh, we only have a couple of them, but it's basically like help me craft a, an episode, right? Like from from the ground up, like hey, you pick the the pale sun, and you're gonna help me kind of uh, build some ideas about things that would happen with the players, like things they're already pursuing, right? But that could be influenced by the pale sun or involve those concepts or or the sun itself. Um, and I'm a really big Kogium fan, so like that that is just my happy place. Like the the Sun Wardens last year were so good, so it, uh, yeah. So you can have everything from like being in my planning chair for what little I plan, uh, <laughs> to to contributing all of these cool uh, world building elements and items. 
so interested us that we uh, have we'll have to rush to record an entire segment on the wardens which is totally not sitting on my hard drive waiting to be edited <gasps> uh, but bumped Yay. in order to make sure we got this during the uh, kickstarter uh but yeah <laughs> that will, we have an yes. episode coming up on on wardens i cannot wait i have some questions about wardens i have some questions about wardens <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and if you're, we could talk about it here. Um, yeah, but is, there, is there anything else you want to cover with the Kickstarter? Otherwise, I, th- I think I want to talk to you about um, what you've learned from running mm. Invisible Sun over the past year. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's it. I think it's going to be a really great season. Um, I guess the other the other facts are like when we played last year, uh, I had. I had played Invisible Sun for exactly one weekend. Uh, there was no black cube. <laughs> there was, you know, we we were working with prototype components. Um, I realized later that I consistently put down Sooth cards the wrong way on the Path of Suns. So while while we had the core of the game, like I, I don't know, honestly, it was it's a miracle that it worked really well. I thought the first year, and now we are more experienced and we know what we're doing and we have all the right tools. So um, if you've been curious about seeing Invisible Sun in action, um, especially in a like with players in a single room, I think this is going to be really the stream to tune into. So I hope we I hope we make it uh, super fun for folks. That, that's that's the end of my A Woman with Hollow Eyes spiel. Uh, fantastic. We'll have a link for the Kickstarter in the show notes. Uh, so when this goes up, there will still be plenty of time to get in there and and back. Yay. Uh, thank you. So now that you're going to be running season two and you've got, and we've got black cubes and the rules are out and everything is set. What have you learned in running invisible sun that you're going to be, you know, taking forward into this next season? Ah, that's such a great question. Um, there's, there's a lot, right? There's, there's some basics of, you know, I was still getting my feet under me to be more proficient in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what that also told me, was, you know, I think a lot of people are getting their black cubes and are, are feeling a little bit intimidated uh, with all the content that's in there. And, you know, it's a system they're not familiar with. So for one, I'm really glad like incantations exist, right? They can, they're, they're, they're now actual plays. There's incantations to get deep dives into very specific elements. So there's a lot of assistance. But but honestly, like the core of the game, it, ru- it runs really smoothly, uh, even at its sort of, uh, at its core mechanic, right? So just mm-hmm. just the way that you build your dice, you know, your your sortilege pool and spend your bene, uh, all of that works really seamlessly, just like the cipher system does. So I was really glad to see that. Um, I guess one thing I learned was what an utter joy the sooth deck is at all times. Like uh, one of the ways that the audience could interact with us during a given game was to donate bits to the stream and we would have to redraw a sooth card. So we were using this for regular Path of Suns uh, excitement, um, but we would also use it uh, fairly fairly often for, you know, the player wants inspiration or I want inspiration for, you know, someone asks, oh, you know, I get to this district, like, who do I find there, right? Like, mm-hmm. I could come up with something, but I'd love to be inspired by a sooth card. So, uh and having the audience have us redraw that, you know, really heightened up the tension. So we're definitely going to be bringing that back. Um, and I think that's just influenced how I play Invisible Sun all the time now, right? I really see that sooth deck as a 
um, as a tool anytime I, I need some inspiration. So that, yeah, that's one that's, thing. That's kind of how I've been using it uh, to a degree. Um, and I mm-hmm. think I need to get into the habit of actually turning over cards more often because I think I generally yeah. flip them to indicate like, all right, we're moving into a new scene uh, mm-hmm. or we're, you know, denoting when a new round in action mode starts. Uh, but there have been times where it's like, oh, I kind of need to throw something into this scene and I need some ideas. There's yeah. nothing wrong with me just flipping over a suit card and saying, all right, I'm going to pull something from here. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Scott, have you been running it as well? Do you use the the suit deck sort of haphazardly as inspiration as well? Yes. Um, I have... <laughs> I. About the end of, or right before the cube came out, my playtest uh, kind of group uh, ended, and I'm putting together an in-person group now. So I've had nice. a few months since I've been playing, and my only experience playing with the actual cube is with uh, the uh, is at Gen Con. But mm-hmm. the, uh, because the electronic version of the uh, art book and the yeah. Sooth deck came out earlier, I, I was using the Sooth deck for most of uh, the playtest. And, and it was very mm-hmm. useful in that regard. Uh, you could, for <clears throat> for inspiration, though I did find I got too caught up in scenes and would often forget to turn Sooth cards over as often as I would hope to. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so if anything, uh, what one lesson kind of I take forward to playing in person is to be more aggressive about turning over cards. Because uh, uh, sometimes, in fact, I would say most of the time, we ended up not even making it to the Testament. Yeah. And uh, that wasn't much of an issue when playing online. <laughs> but when you've got this beautiful piece sitting on the table, uh, you want to use it. And so you've got to be aggressive mm-hmm. about getting the Sooth card turns uh, down to, to get a card up on the Testament. Yeah, that's a really good point. I um, mean, when you have an apostate, right, one of their abilities is to ignore the card on the Testament of Sons. And so if I, if I don't really play down some cards, uh, that's, that's denying my apostate a cool opportunity. So, last time I was uh, in our last session, I had flipped, I think, a nemesis up on the testament. Oh (laughs) man! And the apostate was very happy. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody else was suffering, but you know, he he got to ignore it. Oh, another thing I was thinking of that uh, I knew right away I was doing in a way that I would do differently in the future was uh, how I awarded uh, acumen, especially. I Mm. think you know I just. It seemed like such a slow drip of acumen to to dole out one or two per session per per character, but I must have been giving out like five or six <laughs> a session. And I think in my head I was like, well, we really want to, you know, I'm okay with fast advancement because I want the audience to to see a range of mm-hmm. like what Invisible Sun characters can do. So that that felt okay for me. Um, and I think I was pretty pretty generous with the the joy and despair too um but i think like man by the end of that season the players were so powerful <laughs> uh they were they were really wild and so you know james who was really progressing up his uh his forte like you know he was going to not have much more forte to go and of course there's other stuff you can do right um but i think i think if i was I learned that I was advancing people a little too quickly. I don't know. Did have any of you run into that? Uh, I think I started off by handing out one acumen plus whatever you get for progressing your character arcs. But I've kind mm-hmm. of bumped that up to saying, as long as you guys are doing stuff in the session, I'm probably going to give out 
two acumen or two or three acumen plus whatever you're getting from your character arcs. So I think mm. I'm I'm handing out like two to three acumen, sometimes four, uh, in a given session to each character. Okay. And that that feels like a pretty good happy medium. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I just need to encourage them to spend it more. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I I have a lot of players who like to sit on their resources just in case they need them. But they can't use them. Oh, that's so silly. Delightful. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had a similar experience online. I I think I might have averaged a little higher, three to four acumen per session, once you include everything. Uh, and the result wasn't that people were sitting on their resources because they wanted to, you know, or were waiting to see if they could use them for something else. It's just they were a little overwhelmed, especially kind of this, this was the play test and all the limitations inherent in that. They just weren't confident enough about what their choices uh, could be. To mm-hmm. know that they really wanted to expend uh, acumen, so someone would sit on do, you know a dozen or more acumen and then spend them all at one time, which is is fine. Uh, the firewall between acumen and crux uh, helps a little bit because even if you right. give too much acumen, the characters are getting more skills, uh, but you might even be able to kind of push them into getting more spells instead, which doesn't necessarily dramatically increase their power, just the diversity and the breadth of their power. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it it might not be game breaking to have too much acumen in the game, especially again, if you could sort of push them towards spells, Uh, accelerating joy and, and, uh, and uh, uh, sorrow and crux are despair and and crux is where I could see this being potentially more of a problem. (laughs) But if anything, I think I might've been too slow on uh, joy and despair. Yeah, one thing I learned is that, you know, and I had I have improvisers and and folks who really like to lean into, you know, certain themes, right? And so they would really drive their characters uh, into pretty joyous or pretty disparous uh, like arcs for a while, right? And so one thing I would probably do this season is is ask players maybe at the end of every other session or so, like, how are you doing on Joy and Despair? You know, just because I think every once in a while, I I didn't realize it, but like Alan's character, Wayne, had like nine despair, okay? And no joy. joy. (laughs) And I was like, oh, man. And he was happy as could be. Like, he was thrilled. But um, the player. The player, correct. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But also, you know, I, I think you make a great point, Scott, about, breadth and not depth necessarily. And I think even with joy and despair, you can kind of get that because some of those character secrets or house secrets, right? You can be spending that crux in so many um, other different, you know, fun ways that you may not, uh, someone who wants to just barrel through their forte or barrel through their, um, their order can do so, but there's, you know, reminding players that there are these other really cool uses of crux can help spread the power around um, in really interesting ways. Now with the, uh, the one shop group, when you were running a woman with hollow eyes, did you have to push them in a direction to, you know, look into spells and secrets or was that something that they did on their own? Like, how did you handle that? Great question. Um, They, so I remember James specifically saying like how, how shocked he was that he cared about like, new abilities he was unlocking. Um, I mean, they would, the three of them would, would pour over, uh, you know, the way and, uh, and, and looking at those character secrets and just drool 
Um, and that is that is so not not their way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember them being really shocked at how enticing all of those new character options were. Um, I, I don't think they pursued a lot of new spells. Like they weren't. Uh, we I think they were they were really focused on cool new options from their order uh, and then the secrets a lot. So um, they were so that that's all very crux cruxly. So I'm trying to remember what they spent all their acumen on. Um, I think we they bought some skills and opened up new character arcs, but um, secrets are acumen, aren't they? Oh, are they? Yeah, I believe so. I think oh, perfect. So. Then that yeah. Uh, they did. They just get pretty expensive. Yeah, they do. Uh, cool. Yep. So that's. I think they were they were really into those secrets and and hoarding their acumen for that. <laughs> so that makes sense. in the future, I'd probably remind them, like you know, especially some like useful skills that might come up in a lot of their their similar roles. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think people. I think I forgot the first year, like how open skills can be and very open. How, yeah, and the system really wants like a goetic to be good at being a goetic. So, like, if you're summoning a lot of ghosts, like, go, you know, get some training in, uh, or like, you know, go go build in like a bond with with ghosts, or you know, go stack that stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. Get get more persuasion. It feels like it's the system is encouraging you to get to a point where you're so proficient that. It's not a question of if you can do this thing. It's a question of like how creative can you be in coming up with a solution to the problem that you've been faced with. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even the uh, calling what you know might be in other systems a feat, call, calling those secrets uh, suggests right. a lot about the design philosophy of the game. In that they be, secrets become an object in the world that you want to pursue that you it, it, it suggests you could have a character arc that just is intended to get you to the secret you've been you have uh uh you pursued right. um so it just has the, the it is a good example of the integration of sort of the flavor and the theme of the game with the mechanics so that it all kind of comes together and you you don't have the separation you sometimes have where there's some players who are interested in the mechanics some that are interested in the theme here it's so woven together that Players traditionally interested in mechanics may now be interested in theme and vice yeah, versa. That's a great point. Um, did you did you lock the secrets behind any sort of uh, story justification, Darcy? I, I didn't. And I think that was uh, a bummer. I think I would definitely do that in the future. So, you know, they, they all had we had very, very light options for that. Right. Like mm-hmm. um, Calvin was working closely with a mentor and Kitty had a lot of uh, related powerful Goetic mentors and uh, Wayne was a big old weirdo discovering stuff all the time, uh, sort of experimenting. So there's this, there's that light story justification. But part of the trouble I had my first year was that these players uh, and and my own GMing probably like led us to really lean into uh, – the pressure of what they were pursuing, right? Like, hey, there's this like really bad dude that you're you're up against and doing bad things. And so they wouldn't want to wait weeks in between, mm-hmm. you know, a session, right? They they wanted to pick up right where they left off. Just kind of more more like my my usual RPGs are time jumps are sort of the exception where in Invisible Sun time jumps are a, an important part of the game because <laughs> you're yeah, a bunch of magical just... nerds. They were they were a bit more magical adventurers than magical nerds, and I think I needed to be able to slow down the time a little bit because, to some extent, I, I had to waive a lot of the "Hey, it takes four weeks to get a level four secret." Understood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they just the players were not 
I, I was not building that in properly. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't so. sure how I was going to tackle that. Uh, but we've been doing downtime pretty much at the start of every session. And I usually, these days, I'm opening up a session and saying, who needs to do things during downtime and how much time do you need? We don't really have any pressure at this point. Um, but we'll see what happens when they go and talk to Dark-Eyed Manfred. And, uh, oh, you know, boy. I have a feeling somebody's going to threaten him because, you know, that's just how players are. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh yeah, so I would I would definitely hide my secrets behind story elements in the future. I think I think you're totally right, Scott, that like uh tying them to character arcs and um making that mechanical choice now a part of the narrative is is a really cool perk to Invisible Sun that I want to showcase. Yeah, I'll have to I think down doing downtime at the beginning of a session is really smart. Uh though it's Part of the you know the, the selling point of the game and some of the again some of the design philosophy was this is offloading a lot of the uh, momentum of storytelling to the characters. It's a very character directed game, but it's still a game where a GM can be overwhelmed if they try to do all of these things perfectly and as uh, full a version as possible. So there's no reason if you know, you have to make choices, and right. so maybe you know secret you know, having the uh, gating the secrets uh could be a fun story but that's not the most important story right now uh so it's not that anyone's playing wrong or anything along those lines by right. making these choices you have to really go with the flow of what your characters are engaged by and what you are interested in uh and mm -hmm. there's so many hooks and knobs for this uh this game that just pick the ones that work for you I think one of the most interesting reactions i had to a woman with hollow eyes is kind of in contrast to other streams each of the streams really plays the game differently. They're all fun and they're all mm -hmm. emphasizing different elements of the system. Uh, and it's, I think shows that each table can, can take this game to create the experience they want to create. Uh, maybe that's gated secrets and really using secrets to drive uh, the narrative. Maybe it's mm -hmm. more about uh, geography and kind of the the t a tour of of the path of suns, right? Uh, or maybe it's really getting into the research system for new spells. Those would be very different games, but the system supports it, uh, and it, it could be enjoyable for various groups. Uh, I think that's a, a really really good point. Um, and uh, yeah, like a lot of my games tend to have a bit more whimsy in them. And so, you know, I, I struggle with the dripping darkness, but our show still got really dark, but it, it grew there rather than uh, starting there. And so it was fun for even with it was a sort of a microcosm of what Invisible Sun could be for me, at least, is, you know, we would have really goofy fun, you know, taking advantage of these hilarious improvisers talent scenes. But we would also have long, tense, you know, uh, darker scenes that, that they would pull together that I was just delighted to to follow along with and and it, and it ended fairly dark too so uh I think invisible sun is a very specific aesthetic but I think the the way you view that aesthetic and how you tap into it and the mechanics is is really uh flexible so we'll see what this season is like cuz it's different people different players and the players drove so much of it last season and I suspect they will again <laughs> Well, they like may it. drive not only the story, but they may also drive like which mechanics of the game you engage with more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that seems to be how things are shaking out at my table. Like, you know, whatever the characters or whatever the players are interested in is, you know, what I'm trying to fine tune the the game for and focus on. Mm -hmm. 
So I think we're going to wrap things up here. Is there anything okay. else that we want to touch on before we uh, close this out? Uh, maybe I'll just say that uh, Adira, the new player, is going to be uh, – her goal, her character's goal is to uh, to take down the Deathless Triumvirate. That's a, that's <laughs> a lofty goal. Yes. So um, I will – I'm really excited to kind of like – bone up on my my lore of Saturine and uh, I think I think this is going to be a much more like digging into some cool canon lore and bringing that to, to the surface uh, season and of course we'll have Secrets of Silent Streets very shortly here with mm-hmm. all the um, even more Saturine stuff so I need to find out if there's any Deathless Triumvirate info in there that I can pull together so get excited because I think that's going to drive a lot of this season <laughs> if she succeeds season three will be very exciting <laughs> <laughs> Will they become the Deathless Triumvirate? I don't know. Calvin wants to become a warden and build a new sun. So they're all pretty lofty goals. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty significant. In five episodes. Somehow <laughs> we're going to do this. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, so the first episode is going to be airing on the 19th of February. Mm-hmm. And the Kickstarter wraps up at uh, on what date again? February 8th. So it'll be... Uh, we'll know pretty pretty soon whether uh, whether it'll fund or not, and then yeah, we'll jump right into it. So that's kind of nice too. Is a lot of Kickstarters involve waiting, and this will be launching into it. <laughs> and Darcy, where can people find you if they want to hear more of your stuff or uh, check in on what you're doing online? I can be found uh, many places. I can be summoned via a very specific ritual. Um, it involves snails, of course. But uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Darcy L. Ross, D-A-R-C-Y-L-R-O-S-S. And basically most other social media platforms, that's sort of my my go-to name. And of course, you can find all the cool things I'm tweeting about and uh, and posting about from Monty Cook Games social media accounts as well. So come check us out at montycookgames.com and follow us on Twitter and come hang out on Instagram. They're big, beautiful pictures because uh, we're getting in so much cool art for all the supplements coming this year. So definitely come follow us. Uh, and also uh, check out Cypherspeak, right? Oh, yeah, that little thing. Uh, no, yeah, you can absolutely find me uh, babbling on with Troy Pitchelman, uh, talking about all things Cypher System and occasionally getting our, our toes into the No Thank You Evil and Invisible Sun worlds. Um. I, I hate to interrupt you here, but uh, Troy is very polite, and he would never correct you on this, but his last name is pronounced Pickleman. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're so right. Oh, my gosh. I've been getting it wrong all this time. Troy Pickleman. Dear Troy. Uh, yes, you'll definitely want to listen to Darcy Ross and Troy Pickleman on Cypher Speak. Uh, we release about every other week, and we dive into uh, various topics, and I think you'll like it if you like this. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Darcy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive Through RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, 
on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us. <laughs>